0: Nine, Nine eight, eight, seven, six, six five, five is four, four, three, three two, two, one.
1: Uh, I think that is fair As to say. I say
2: hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but you uh, know,
1: I think my record speaks for itself. It's a really good question.
2: Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio in St. Louis is Joe Manis. And in a Politically Speaking first, we have our first double guest show in Jefferson City. We have Rob
3: Schaff. I'm the state senator from Buchanan and Platt counties, up including the Kansas City International Airport. I'm a family physician.
2: And uh, our other guest as well.
0: Jim Lemke, and I served 10 years in the Missouri General Assembly, four years in the Senate, and now I am Senator Schaff's Chief of Staff from St. Louis.
2: Thank you guys very much for being our guinea pigs here. Um, We know uh, the senator is a little bit tight on time, so we always ask about, um, you know, our guest backgrounds and which districts they represent. So in the fastest possible way possible, Both of you give me a brief synopsis of of your entire life, basically.
3: Well, I'm a family physician. Uh, I represent uh, St. Joseph and a little bit of Kansas City, and I was in the General Assembly starting in 2003. I'm term limited out of the House, and now I'm in my second term in the Senate.
0: And I I served 10 years in uh, South St. Louis County, uh, six years in the House and four in the Senate. Uh, Senator Schaff and I were colleagues in the Senate for two years, and I had an opportunity uh, to come back down to Jeff City as his chief of staff and uh, enjoy the process.
2: So, the reason we wanted to have both of you on is by the time this show airs, it'll be the last week of session. Both of you are kind of skilled and know the kind of what happens in the last week. Senator Schaff, I'll start with you. What are you kind of expecting in the last week of session, and what is going to be your mentality? Um, as the the, the the flood of legislation comes toward you?
3: Well, my expectation is that the issue of right to work will probably come up. And uh, there's two ways that could go. Either it just fizzles or uh, it could blow up the Senate. In other words, uh, it could uh, pass and in which case uh, there might be uh, – pushed by the Democrats to just kind of stop all further legislation that's happened in the past. And so uh, it depends on on how that goes and that would have to be Monday or Tuesday more than likely because if if they wait after that, then there wouldn't be any time to get that through. Now, if that fizzles out and doesn't uh, go anywhere, then the rest of the session will be uh, dealing with a variety of issues and my goal will be just to stop bad stuff.
2: Yeah, and,
1: uh, and well, when you say stop bad stuff, uh, from your perspective, what do you mean by that?
3: Well, things that would either take away people's liberty or cost them money. They, can
1: Can you give a specific example of a bill that, if it comes up, you're going to make sure it's stopped?
3: Prescription drug monitoring. If it's not the version of the bill that we passed out of the Senate that, as much as possible, protects people's liberty. Another one would be. Uh, The um, Medicaid expansion. I I don't think that uh, that's going to go anywhere. Then there are just a whole variety of other issues.
2: So Jim, I'm gonna call you Jim because I don't know whether you still like to be called Senator or not. He does. Um, Jim is
3: fine. He, he does. He loves to
2: be called Senator. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you and, and Senator Schaff were, were both like the some key filibusters when you were both in the Senate. Now that you're gone and you know, Senator Nieves is gone and Senator Lamping is gone. Is the is the kind of barrier against some of these these bills that Senator Schaff mentioned a little bit less sturdy, or do you think that the basically the the conservative block to stop some things is still intact?
0: Well, I think it's much different than it was a couple of years ago. I mean, I can remember uh, the Senator and I uh, were in a group they called the Group of Nine. Uh, we were called the four horsemen of the apocalypse uh, for a time, and uh, there's certainly uh, fewer senators that are willing to stand up against uh, things that take away liberty and freedom, and, uh, you know, yesterday we spent uh, a good portion of the day on the floor uh, debating a tax increase for fuel, and it was put forth uh, by the Republican majority. So, I mean, I, I think that the interesting thing about this time of the year is that there are six days left. So uh, the the idea that we have fewer senators that are willing to stand uh, on bills that take away freedom and liberty and uh, and the, the, the gain of our own industry, as the as the Constitution would say, uh, you
2: know, it, it just uh, makes it a little bit easier when you only have five days left. So, Senator Schaff, one of the things that I've noticed from the start of when I, I started covering Missouri politics is you've been a pretty integral figure in health care policy. I mean, you were one of the people that helped reconfigure the Medicaid program in 2007. Um, you were also kind of a key figure in the Insure Missouri debate, which was a private insurance plan put forth by then-Governor Matt Blunt. Um, and you've also been a key, you know, opponent of Medicaid expansion— um, before we get into the nitty-gritty of this, I wanted you to just kind of explain your philosophical approach, um, especially to the Medicaid issue, um, and kind of why you have been opposed to the idea of expanding eligibility under the Affordable Care Act.
3: Well, it, it uh, philosophically has to do with what is the role of government in the allocation of precious resources, uh, and how are we going to... To uh, distribute that, and the answer is: is I've been a family physician for thirty years, and the you know we do a pretty poor job of taking care of the people uh, who really can't take care of themselves, and I'm talking about the aged, blind, disabled. Um, we really uh, force them to live below the poverty level, and for us to then uh take uh billions of dollars which by the way is like going to be a huge windfall for certain providers including hospitals uh and continue to allow you know those most vulnerable people to live below poverty is just unconscionable to me secondly you know Every penny that the federal government is going to be spending on this Medicaid expansion is borrowed money. I mean it's money that's being manufactured out of thin air by the Federal Reserve. I mean they don't have it. We're $18 trillion in debt on a cash basis. On an accrual basis, we're $210 trillion in debt uh, nationally. And I just don't want to be part of making that situation worse. Thirdly, I really don't want to teach people to be more dependent – on government, uh, it, it isn't the role of government to uh, provide everything to everyone. Uh, we, you know, there's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, you know, giving everybody free health care is nothing more than the redistribution of wealth.
1: A couple questions related to this. First, as you know, some of the rural hospitals have been closing uh, in within the past year. Some blame the lack of expansion, some don't. I'd be interested in your take on that. Uh, Two, how would you deal with the, you mentioned that we do sort of force the blind, disabled, and some other groups to live so um, cheaply in order to get some help. How would you counter that? And then uh, three, uh, how would you, how do you deal with the fact that there are some states around us that are doing Medicaid expansion? Does that put Missouri at a disadvantage?
3: Okay, first of all, the SAC Osage Hospital is the one that, uh, you know, um, closed in uh, Osceola, Missouri. And uh, it is even admitted by uh, the news media that in part that was because of mismanagement. And in fact, one of the people was quoted as saying, "This is probably the best thing that could happen for Osceola because now they'll be able to actually get a viable uh, health center there." Um, second of all, it isn't the lack of Medicaid expansion that's done this. Uh, so far, the federal government hasn't even uh, cut back on the uh, dish payments or disproportionate share hospital payments. Um, you know. The the number of people who are now covered on the exchange that were uninsured is is a pure boon for hospitals because now they're getting paid for them uh, through the subsidized health care premiums through the exchange, and they're also getting paid through the cost shift, which is the that that paid for them prior to the exchange and that accounts for I don't probably about billion a billion dollars of premium coming into the state of Missouri of which 400 million is distributed to hospitals so I don't really think that's a problem
1: let me follow up on that if the Supreme Court knocks out the subsidies in uh, less than a month what do you think the general Assembly should do if anything
3: Wait for Congress to act Congress created the problem Congress needs to undo it and, uh, you know, I, I really feel like um, people really need to, to start being self sufficient. Uh, I would predict that we are just around the corner from a severe economic crisis, and government is not going to be able to just give free health care to everyone. It's just not going to happen. Uh, our country is in such deep debt, we'll never, ever be able to pay it off. The only way it's going to happen is either through default or hyperinflation.
1: Now, some of the other states, including Ar- Ar- Arkansas, have expanded Medicaid. Does that hurt Missouri, or do you think it really doesn't have it's any no effect?
2: It's no
3: effect. No effect on Missouri.
2: My, my only other question on this issue is I think about a year ago I was talking about a bill that you introduced that went through – that basically made a host of changes to the state health care system, including price transparency – and major changes to certificate of need and i questioned you know proponents of medicaid expansion maybe they should you know talk with senator shop and maybe try to incorporate some of those ideas into some sort of medicaid expansion compromise one year later has anybody tried to do that and do you think that would have ever been kind of a, a way forward on this issue anyways
3: yes people have talked to me about it including the governor himself and no it is not a way forward on Uh, expanding Medicaid. It should be done anyway. And in fact, I've been working on this for so long, and it's such an obvious, obvious example of cronyism. For example, keeping consumers in the dark uh, with regard to how much it's going to cost them to get their health care is done purely to protect the status quo for hospitals, insurance companies, and other providers, which is the number one reason why I introduced SGR 13, the Anti-Corruption Act, the Anti-Corruption Act would allow good public policy, such as getting transparency into the health care system, to happen. And it's the lack of that that has kept consumers in the dark. And well, let's ca- That's yeah. the chief problem with our yeah. health care system is lack of transparency.
2: Yeah, let's kind of segue into your ethics bill. Um, you You're one of the Republicans who I think has put forth um, you know a pretty multifaceted ethics bill and I think it's actually a constitutional amendment um, in as succinctly as you can kind of explain what's in it and what was your your thought process behind it
3: Well, what's in it is a, a ban on gifts, uh, a three-year uh, a restriction on the revolving door of becoming a lobbyist, uh, campaign finance limits, a ban on corporate, contributions and uh, a rebate proposal to allow small donors to have more of a say in the political system.
2: So you were, you're were you one of the Republicans that voted to repeal campaign finance limits and now have pretty much come out and said it was a bad idea. Other people who have said that include former Senator Scott Roop, who's now on the PSC, Senator David Pierce, who's now who's still a senator. And we had uh, former Senator Jason Crowell on the show. And while I don't think he said he regretted his vote, he did say that it had a lot of unintended consequences. Um, I'd like to just have you explain why you feel your, your initial vote maybe was the wrong way to go.
3: Well, uh, over time, we make observations in our lives and l- learn from our mistakes and one of the things that I've learned is that we are all subject to some tribe mentality. And uh, that probably was an example of that uh, back when. And over time, having watched my efforts to say repeal CON, uh, enact transparency, put uh, competition back into the healthcare system, uh, I've observed the special interests. Uh, kill my bills every possible way that bills can be killed, uh, politically and parliamentary-wise and uh, every other way. Oftentimes there are no fingerprints, but when you uh, dig, you find out that somebody killed the bill on purpose, usually at the behest of a
2: special interest.
3: Jason, can I jump in?
2: Yeah, I was actually going to just uh, ask you to jump in on this. Yeah. Well, you
0: know, I think I, I think back uh, to when Rob and I first uh, uh, were House members. And uh, you know we we just had uh, gained the majority, and uh, we were passing tax credits right and left. And we all thought at the time, we were, you know, uh, freshmen in, in in the legislature sophomore. And we all thought it was better that we did this because, you know, taxpayers were actually keeping those tax dollars in their own pockets instead of it going to the state. But then, you know, we matured a little bit and we found out what was actually happening was there was, uh, you know – Winners and losers were being chosen through our tax policy, and this wasn't the right way to go to, to uh, create 61 different tax credit programs that would benefit those that had lobbyists in the hallways and could write the big checks. And we changed our position on those issues, and then we started fighting them uh, when we were in the Senate together. And, you know, I would liken this, uh, this issue the same way. I mean, we're, we're finding out that the special interests down here are so powerful and in the era of term limits. There is no institutional uh, uh, knowledge or wisdom retained in this building. And, you know, the, the inmates are running the asylum. And so, you know, there's very few people that really take the time to learn the issues and how is this going to affect every taxpayer in the state uh, you know, not just their own district or not just one group or special interest? How is it going to affect every taxpayer? So that has, I mean, I think you grow in this process. The problem is it's a very short window uh, when you're talking uh, term limits.
1: Now, um, with only a week left, do you have any assessment on what's going to happen with your ethics spell, Senator Schaaf, or that that this has to do with all of it, including campaign finance limits. And there has been really no talk, very little talk this session, of changing tax credits. I mean, is any of that stuff going to come up the last week, or is it all dead?
3: Uh, I think it's all dead, and I never really expected my uh, ethics bill to move through this session. Uh, If you look at what happened with Senator Richard's bill, where it was – watered down to where the, the revolving door doesn't even apply to the sitting legislators. I mean it, it's just uh, almost a joke. Uh, the, my provisions, which are tough, you know comprehensive provisions, would never ever make it through. Uh, the legislature. So really what I I wanted to do with the hearing that I had the other day was to let everybody see that there is broad bipartisan support uh, for this and um, maybe try to rally the troops to come up with a viable initiative petition plan and a coalition of people so we can put it before the voters. I believe that if we put this issue before the voters, they would snap it up and pass it just in a heartbeat.
2: So in the last 10 minutes that we have, I want to talk about uh, the St. Louis football stadium, because not only does uh, former Senator Lemke live around St. Louis and may like or dislike the Rams, but uh, Senator Shop has become part of a bipartisan chorus, I would say, of people who are at, at best skeptical and at worst outright opposed to extending bonds for this uh, without a vote of some sort. So um, hopefully, I just accurately described your position on this. Why, why have you come? Why have you become one of the the legislators who's been so outspoken about making sure there's some sort of vote on on the bonds for this new stadium? We,
3: earlier, I told you that uh, the debt is crushing the federal government. Well, we here in the state have about what's the total debt, Jim? That we're about three point seven billion. Three point seven billion that the state owes, and uh, every year we have to pay four hundred and fifty million or so just to service that debt. And every penny of that debt was at one time or another voted on by either the people or the legislature. And part of that debt was three hundred million dollars. Uh, 20-some years ago to build the Edward Jones Dome, and we still are going to be paying on it for six more years. And uh, now uh, it's apparent that the governor and others want to refinance those bonds and put the state into debt for another $300 million to build a different stadium while we're still paying off on the first one without a vote of the legislature. And I want to make it very clear to whoever is listening that I, I'm not necessarily opposed to a new stadium, but I am opposed to uh, putting the state into debt for another $300 million without a vote of the legislature or of the people. That That's not uh, acceptable. It, it should well, never happen.
2: Well, I, I, look, a, a few months ago, I did ask the governor about this exact issue about whether he would allow at least a legislative vote on this. This is ex- this is what he said in response to that question. First of all, the legislature gets a vote on the
0: bonds each and every year. I mean, the, the, the current bonds and all of the bonds of the state must go through and do go through the appropriations process uh, and have to be approved. And in order to maintain our AAA standard and AAA-rated bonds, they, they they vote on those. That's part of the process. So so they'll be involved in, 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 those, uh, in that decision-making process. I think it's up to us. Uh, to put forth a proposal and to meet the timelines that we're involved in here.
2: So I'm sure you've heard that type of argument from the governor's office before. What's kind of your response to that? Well, you know, Jason, I would, I would say this. Uh, first of all, uh,
0: this is uh, what we call House Bill 5 uh, debt. Uh, it's not backed up by the full faith and credit of the state. Uh, if the legislature decides not to appropriate that money, it will not affect our AAA bond rating. And as Senator Schaff said on the floor yesterday, and uh, Senator Sylvie has also said, uh, you know, if you're somebody out there that's buying a bond on this new stadium, uh, you better think twice because the legislature is not bound, uh, like our, uh, our, our our debt in House Bill 1, which is uh backed by the full faith and credit of the state, general obligation bonds. These are not general obligation bonds, and you can ask anybody and they'll tell you that.
3: But but, but if you listen to what the governor said uh, carefully, he basically said that we get to vote here after the fact, after he's committed the state to this uh, revenue stream, and uh, and then he said something about our our bond rating and how... You know, we need to protect that. Well, basically what what's happening is he's putting a gun to our head saying, uh, we're going to take your your money and put you in debt. And then if you don't, like, appropriate this money, then you might hurt our, our bond rating. No, that's not okay.
2: Yeah. And that was going to be my, my, my only other question on this. If he does end up extending the bonds by fiat and it comes to the legislature next year or the year after, you've said you would filibuster those bonds as – as long as your feet can carry you, um, is, that, is that accurate, that, by the way?
3: That is accurate, and I believe that there are others that will stand with me. And, you know, he knows that it is difficult to uh, stop a, um, uh, an appropriations bill. And I'm, I'm hoping that the appropriations chair and the budget chair – listen to to me and others and just make it clear that we're not going to put that into the bills. I mean, I really would appreciate their help. Uh, they should be just as inflamed about this as I am.
2: So before we end up sending you off to the, the abyss of the last few days of session, Joe has another one more question on right to work.
1: Yeah. Uh, I want to circle back to what you mentioned at the beginning about how it has the possibility of blowing up or preventing action on pretty much everything else. Just so our listeners understand, right to work would um, bar employers or unions from uh, requiring all the workers in a particular unit to pay dues if a majority vote to join a union. That's just to kind of set it up. Um, what do you think of the possibilities that it could end up styming all action in the Senate or is it a matter of it's just going to come up, but then people uh, – R- Richard or somebody will take it off when it appears to be a filibuster, especially since there doesn't appear to be enough votes to override a gubernatorial veto? I'm just interested in your assessment on all that. Well,
3: uh, I can just only tell you my, my viewpoint of it, and we'll get Jim to chime in. But sure. uh, basically the the House has already picked this up and passed it. The rumor is is that the speaker has close to enough to override. There are probably enough senators on the Republican side to to override, but I don't know for sure because we don't whip people in the Senate. In other words, I hope that your listeners understand what I mean by that. We don't go and ask them how they're gonna vote on everything. We're
2: not actually talking about really whipping right, right. them, by the way. <laughs>
3: right. And uh and so um In order to to stop uh, what will obviously be a Democrat filibuster, and in fact there may be Republicans involved in that filibuster, we don't know that yet, Um, there will have to be a procedural motion called the PQ. And if you remember earlier in the year when I uh, led the charge to stop the pay raise for legislators, I – uh, used a, a technique of uh, offering up a PQ motion, previous question motion. Well, uh, in the past, historically, whenever the, those in the majority use the PQ against those in the minority, the minority has responded by just shutting down debate. I mean, putting roadblocks against everything, filibustering every possible procedure, and so basically nothing after that uh, is allowed to happen. You know, Even to the point of filibustering the approval of the journal in the morning. So um, we know that uh, in order to get this vote on right to work, there's going to have to probably be a PQ motion.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: yeah. And uh, the question is, is will 18 senators vote to shut down debate? Uh, and I think that it will be telling if they vote to shut down debate on other Republicans – that's that's the real question here.
2: Yeah, and this was gonna be my question for for Jim, because you were one of the senators, I believe, who was opposed to right to work. My question is if there's not enough votes to override a veto on this, is it really worth using the previous question on it when it's probably gonna engender just tons of ill will among Democrats? And the scenario that Senator Schaff said that the Senate gets shut down, it gets shut down for essentially something that's not going to be implemented if there's not enough to override. What's your take on that?
0: Well, on the, on the front side of that question, I would answer, you know, if the Senate gets shut down, you know, I'm probably pretty happy about that, as, as Senator Schaff is, because there's still a lot of bad legislation out there that uh, will die because of that. Um, but I would say that it's probably, uh, you know, the senator and I might not agree with this. I don't know if the override votes are actually there. Uh, to override a governor's veto on the right to work. So, you know, I question, uh, you know, whether going through this exercise at this time is, is
3: timely. And also, I wanted to correct, uh, I'm in favor of the right to work uh, proposal myself. I would, I would vote for right to work.
1: Now, would you vote to PQ? Well, uh, I'm not
3: going to answer that question because I haven't made up my mind yet.
2: It's and, a big decision. It, it, yeah,
3: I have to tell you, the calculus for me in, in involves a lot more than just you know, uh, should should we have right to work? I mean, like I'll, I'll be much more likely uh, to PQ a, a pure Democrat filibuster than I would PQ my own members. You know, once you PQ your own members, uh, then they may want to PQ you on something that you don't like.
2: Yeah, that's why I mentioned it's a big decision, because there are repercussions down the line. But we know that you need to run to something else. We really appreciate both of you being on and providing this really excellent insight on the last week of session. To close us out, you can find all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Joe on Twitter at?
1: J Manis, that's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And are
2: either of you on Twitter?
3: Uh, no. Nope. I'm on <laughs> at Rob Schaff. Um you know, it's always fun to sit in the in, in the uh, chamber and uh, watch the Twitter feed of uh, tweets about me <laughs> <laughs> in real time. Uh, it, it's just sometimes just uh, real funny.
2: <laughs> it is. It is pretty hilarious. Uh, and, and Jim, do you do you still use Twitter anymore? Or do you use like snail mail or, 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 or telegraphs now?
0: yeah I'm, I'm I'm still using the Telegraph yeah but no, I, I uh, just work for Senator Schaff and you can reach me in his office
2: and until next week, so long. so long.